Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hi, my name is Carrie Seaburn, professional engineer, and this is Unstruct. Unstruct is the podcast where we share the stories from within your walls to help you understand how they stand today. Thanks for coming back. In this episode, I sat down with Chad Mitchell. He is an associate with SI Miro in Denver, Colorado, and also a past president of the Structural Engineers Association of Colorado, also known as SEAC. In this episode, we took a little different spin, I guess. So instead of focusing on a building, we focused on structural engineering. So I kind of wanted to, I guess, take a step back and just focus on collaboration within the industry and things that we can do within the industry to collaborate, to elevate the profession, and also to bring awareness to the general public as to what we do as structural engineers. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. Chad is really leading the charge and doing lots of great things as far as diversity, equity, and inclusion, and also collaborating with his peers within the structural engineering world. He does a great job of really connecting with other structural engineers and sharing his resources and also collaborating and working with their resources as well. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and a little different turn and you'll have to listen to the end to see what his song would be for structural engineers. Chad Mitchell, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you? Good. Hey, thanks for being here. So today is a little bit different than our typical unstructed building episode. We are going to get into how structural engineers can collaborate and how we can kind of all work together 
to kind of elevate the profession and give the best service to the general public. So I consider you an expert in this. Not only are you an expert as a structural engineer, I also see you out and about collaborating with other structural engineers and doing a great job of it. So I wanted to have you on the show to just kind of discuss how we can do that and how we can better collaborate with other engineers. So I guess my first question for you would be, what does intentional collaboration mean for you? Yeah, and thank you for having me. And I think collaboration to me, especially the intentional side of it, is being willing to help others reach out. Well, two sides, reaching out for help when you need it, and then also being willing to help people when they ask. And putting not just the competition or competitiveness of each other, put that aside to kind of betterment of the industry and kind of building up us as a profession versus just focusing on on yourself, both asking for help and then being able to be willing to, you know, assist somebody, whether that's through education, continuing education, or just, you know, a, a type of project that somebody doesn't have the expertise in to be able to step in and say, hey, this is how we typically do it. Awesome. So I see you taking a proactive role in doing this. So you're a past president of the Structural Engineers Association of Colorado, which is a group of structural engineers within the state of Colorado. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you have done through SEAC and kind of how that has helped the industry? Yeah, I definitely can. And SEAC is one of several. There's, I think, 50 plus state organizations. Some state has more of them. But essentially, every state, for the most part, has a Structural Engineering Association or an SEA. So I I think a lot of our focus in the past has been on education, continuing education. If there's seminars, if there's code changes, building code changes, analytical changes to how we do our work, typically in the past been kind of focused more on the educational side of things. But we work on a lot of materials. We work on concrete. We work with steel And so it kind of gets broken down into the type of material, the type of construction that we're dealing with. But in the last five or six years, it's been kind of moving more towards not just the education side, but the community side. And also not just with the structural engineering community, but the the general public outside of that and trying to grow awareness of what exactly structural engineers do. We have a saying in CSEA, which is the National Society of Structural Engineering Associations. They have a saying right now that's we see above and beyond. Every day that you go into a building is something a structural engineer has worked on, has done. So we're all over the place, but everybody sees the architecture, not everybody sees the engineering. So not just trying to make sure that we're the best engineers, but also that we're valued for you know the type of work that we do. Mm-hmm. So just to pause for a little bit. So for maybe the general population that isn't familiar with building design. So mm-hmm. for us as structural engineers, and really for any building that has built has to follow the International Building Code. So this is a document that's put together. Contractors are very familiar with it. Architects are very familiar with it. And then us as structural engineers, we have a portion that we have to follow. So in that code, it gives us a bunch of requirements that we have to use in our building design. So like you were talking earlier with the education side of it, SIAC is putting together kind of some supplemental information and tools to implement this portion that the structural engineers have to follow for the code. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And every four years, or actually every three years, the IBC upgrades, and there's other codes underneath that for the materials. There's a different one for concrete, a different one for steel. They're always changing as well. 
we just had with SEAC a fall seminar. We do a, a seminar every year that's a four-hour educational opportunity. And we went over the updates to the ASC 7, which is specifically we were looking at the wind part of it. It's how we determine the loads that are on the building. And so we had a, a seminar on that and then also on some s- sustainability topics, trying to make sure that we still have a livable planet in 50 years is, is one of our goals as well. Sure. And so that's been in the past and kind of the main foothold of these SEAs is to make sure that all engineers are up to date on code changes and you know other kind of topics. But we're kind of moving more into a more rounded education, you know, getting into some DEI We have a, through NCSEA organization called SE3, which kind of focuses on, so the three E's are SC, structural engineering, equity, and inclusion Gotcha. are the three. So, but we're kind of dipping more into the social side of things versus just all technical. Gotcha. So can we kind of back up to talk about that technical bit a little bit though? Mm Because one thing, so being in Colorado, the code that we all have to follow as structural engineers has kind of special wind regions and special snow regions due to the mountain. So it's not telling the structural engineer exactly what to use for wind loads and for snow loads in those areas. It's kind of left up to each jurisdiction. But can you talk a little bit about what the Structural Engineers Association of Colorado has done to kind of tie that all together and to collaborate with other structural engineers so that there's kind of uniformity there? Yeah, I definitely can. So Colorado, we're very unique in our elevation. We get high snow loads. And so sometimes it's hard to predict, especially when you're looking at the whole United States. So ASC7, which is American Society of Civil Engineers, they put out this document that talks about snow loads, wind loads, earthquake loads, and it's very broad and it's in the whole country. And so there's specific areas and Colorado just happens to have two of the specific areas. Similar to California has high seismic, so they have to be very focused on their piece. Ours is wind and snow and snow due to our elevation. Obviously we've got great skiing here in Colorado and we get a lot of snow that other areas don't. And the type of snow we get is a little different than what you might get out in the plains or in other areas where the snow might be a little less moisture content. So our snow can be a little heavier at times. Also, wind-wise, we have the Rocky Mountains. So as the wind in the jet stream comes across, you know, the Rockies, it gets pushed up higher, higher, higher. And then when it hits the bottom of the Rockies, it all the area of it comes down and, and it, it's a downslope kind of pressure differential kind of, anyway, long story short, it's this wind actually accelerates as it comes down off of the front range in Colorado. So we have a special wind region down the east side of the Rocky Mountains that has higher wind speeds than typical. And so we can get not quite hurricane size winds, but in actually up in Boulder, in some of those areas, we get close to a hurricane type winds, not sustained, but gusts of winds that we have to design for. And so SEAC has committees set up for wind and snow specifically and have done research with the snow. They've gone out and after big snowstorms measured the drift drift sizes and the density of the snow to make sure that what actually is occurring is what we're designing for. And we've done some similar items with wind as well to try to customize our, our areas loading for design. Gotcha. So then the cities and local jurisdictions, they are adopting this information, correct? They are. So Denver actually lays out what winds they want in specific areas in the town. But a lot of the smaller areas, smaller jurisdictions don't have, you know, a whole size of structural engineers in their building department. 
And so they'll just defer to the SEAC snow maps for the, the snow. And actually, the nationally, they're in the next code cycle, they're mimicking some of the work that was done through SEAC and SEAC's helping with the development of the new snow load maps nationally. Okay. So I guess maybe to clarify this a little bit too for some of our listeners. So SEAC is practicing structural engineers that all have a day job that work at competing practices in the area. And then on a volunteer basis, they give their expertise to this organization, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So everybody on the organization, even our board is volunteers. So all the members of our committees are volunteers and not all of them are structural engineers. There's some of them that are they sell wood joists or something like that. So they're not technically a structural engineer, but most of the people on our committees are structural engineer and they're they're all volunteered, putting their own time to try to make our industry better. I think that brings up a great point too. So one of the most complex things that we do as structural engineers is do like a wind analysis or a seismic analysis. And I've been to conferences before where they've talked about wind load generation and how complex that has gotten with the code Mm -hmm. and how structural engineers will have their own way of determining what that wind load is on a building. And nine times out of 10, they're not exactly correct. Like they're within a certain percentage, a small percentage, but Mm -hmm. how so many structural engineers are getting different answers just because it's so complex at this point. I mean, the work that you guys are doing at SEAC really brings up a huge point there as far as like intellectual property and how can we share the things that we know, the things that we have learned so that we can come up with something kind of that base level that's more homogeneous or more the same for everyone and then go from there. So instead of, mm-hmm. you know, nine times out of 10 getting something different, everyone kind of starting at that same level. So what are some things like I see you doing this and doing a great job of this? What are some things that you have done to kind of help or been a part of to help create this abundance mindset, this sharing of intellectual property? Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that I've been doing is I've been trying to celebrate other engineers and the work that they've done and make it less of, you know, they're my competitors. They're kind of analogous to, you know, somebody that you've played a football game against. You work hard against them, but then after the game, you're friends, you're happy that, you know, that everybody's healthy. But I think that the key thing that I've done is work towards celebrating other ones and I wrote an article a couple years ago that kind of touched on when I first started in engineering, it was these guys are your competitor. You don't look at them, you don't talk to them, you just do your work and you stay in your little silo and you don't kind of push outside of it. And so on even LinkedIn, I was afraid to like or even follow other companies because my company might think that I'm looking at trying to leave the company. And once I started, I went to a national conference for structural engineers and realized how big of a community out there and how much everybody's willing to share. And at that point, I decided to, you know, like every structural engineer I know, their firm, you know, every architect, every contractor. And it's just opened my eyes to the amazing things that we do. You know, the projects that are out there, it's kind of pulled me into the, the whole trying to make this community better as much as I can, whether it's through engineering, technically, DEI topics, or anything I can do to try to build this industry up so that, you know, we get valued. We do amazing things every day and it's hard for people to see it because most of the time it's hidden behind, you know, a curtain wall or floor system or carpet or wood. It's out there and it's just trying to let other people see how amazing 
of the work that the people that I work with do. Yeah, that's awesome. And I see you doing that. Like you mentioned LinkedIn. I think that's a great avenue, a great forum to kind of celebrate other engineers and to celebrate other projects. What are some other ways that you have seen that, so that shift in your mindset that you said when you went to that National Structural Engineering Conference, what ways have you seen that come back to you? So you talked earlier about how it's important to mentor other engineers, but also like a little bit of you know, what you receive back from that. So what are some things that you have gotten back from that mindset shift? Yeah, one of the big pieces of it is that we don't have to figure out all the solutions all by ourselves. You know, when I was a younger engineer, when I first learned PT design, which is post-tension concrete, my company was doing it wrong. We were doing it, like you said, you can give three engineers, structural engineers, the same problem, and they'll probably come up with three different solutions. They're all right. They all, you know, meet safety codes, but all three of them are going to go down the route a different way. And and we were going down a route that wasn't efficient. And the PT supplier essentially, you know, called us in and said, hey, look at your drawings and it feels like you could do it a little different. And, you know, the old mindset would be, we know what we're doing. We got it. Don't worry about it. Just build it. And what we actually did was say, hey, do you have, you know, three hours in the afternoon and we'll come over to your office and you can kind of walk us through the most efficient design. And, you know, after that, it kind of opened our eyes and saw that, you know, you don't need to do it the way we were doing it. There's another way to do it that meets the code that's actually more efficient. And, you know, I think the key is just to not be so set in your ways and say my way or the highway, say, you know, if one of these other, you know, engineers that either does a peer review, we do a lot of peer reviews where, Another structural engineer will take your drawings and give comments on it. And, you know, the old mindset would be, no, we're right. We're 100% right. Because, again, there's six ways to do the same exact answer. And so being open to those suggestions and, and learning from them versus just saying, you know, I'm right. I know how to do this. I've done this for 30 years or whatever. Actually sitting down and saying, you know, they have a point. You know, maybe I'm not going to do it this exact time, but I'm definitely going to keep that in my pocket for the next time because, you know, their points are valid. And having that open mindset that we're competitors, yeah, but we're also trying to make this industry better. We're trying to, you know, make more efficient buildings for people, for owners. Every day we do, you know, some crazy solution for an architect and maybe somebody else has seen that exact same thing. Just because it's the first time I've seen it doesn't mean it's the first time anybody's done it. Mm -hmm. We only have limited resources. And if somehow we could open up I'm sure somebody else in the Denver area has had that exact same problem before. And, you know, if we could work as more of a collaboration to, you know, solve some of these more complex pieces. And, and we have some of that already on the internet. There's some good websites that are forums for structural engineers that kind of kick out what they've done in the past and give examples. But it'd be nice to have some more interactive live kind of session. And that's the piece that I haven't seen quite yet is that trying to solve a problem, we get kind of in our silo where we're trying to solve it all by ourselves and be willing to reach out to another company and say, hey, I know that you've done a lot of these PT drawings, projects. What would you do in this situation? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You know, we need to get to the point where it's more formalized, maybe 
bigger, like a more of like something set for us to go to, to share these ideas. But I think you personally have done a great job of reaching out to people and collaborating. And I just wonder what the reception has been of that. So like, do you feel that shift, that change to more of that abundance mindset by sharing things and reaching out to other structural engineers and celebrating other structural engineers? Do you see that coming back to you? A little bit. I think being open with at least celebrating each other, it kind of opens up that competition, but also colleagues. You know, we're, we're beyond just competitors, we're colleagues. I have seen people that I associated with on LinkedIn starting to do the same thing I am, which makes me feel good. You know, I'm starting to see other people in our structural engineering community liking other projects that three years ago they were not even. They respected it, but I don't think anybody was really willing to say that they respected it mm-hmm. just because it broke down that competition piece of it. And I, I think I think it's getting more and more open. And I think through SEAC or other SEAs, I think that's kind of the one of the means to do that where we can start sharing a little bit. We do have in SEAC, we have a business management committee that we've had for multiple years. And in the past, I think it has been more focused on, you know, the business side of things. Since COVID, it's kind of opened up that discussion more to, you know, how are we doing remote work? How are, you know, are we doing hybrid schedules? How are we, you know, handling sick leave? Because Colorado changed their sick leave after COVID. So it's nice to see that the leadership in the companies in the Colorado area that are opening up and discussing those kind of items to make sure that we're all servicing our industry well. Yeah. So I like to call it open source engineering. So, you know, like in coding, a lot of times there's open source coding. So coders are you know, putting together their computer code and then sharing it with other people so that they can use that as a baseline mm-hmm. to get better and to service the industry better. So I think, you know, just like you're describing by doing those things, then we're able to elevate kind of our starting platform for building design and able to put out at the end a better quality product and something that's more enhanced possibly without putting in more hours and more cost on our side and then everyone benefits, right? So, mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Some of the companies have limited resources. We have some companies that are hundreds of people large. We have other companies that are three people. And so some of these bigger companies have DEI resources, committees set up in, internally that discuss these items and, and try to work towards a goal of, of more inclusive industry. So that's diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, you know, some of these smaller companies just don't have that resource. You know, they may have the three people. So, you know, if we can share that through an, an SEA or other structural engineering professional association, those smaller companies have accesses. You know, those employees have accesses to those resources if we can kind of share it across the border. So that's awesome. I think that's one of the great, I think, outputs. I, again, we've been doing a great job at least sharing, teaching each other the updated codes and that kind of piece. But I think the future of us sharing our knowledge is, is on the DEI side of things or the other soft skills, I guess it would be, versus the technical side of things. Well, and I see you doing this, like, especially through LinkedIn, where you are celebrating these organizations that are promoting DEI things. You're celebrating people as they're, you know, producing their projects and stuff. And I see you really doing a great job of that. What would be, I guess, your recommendation for every practicing structural engineer and how can 
we all support this DEI movement, this inclusion of everyone and all different kind of backgrounds and everything so that we can be the most productive and include the most mm-hmm. types of people and ideas, the broadest range of ideas in our industry, what would be your recommendation for kind of the average practicing structural engineer? Yeah. And I'm pretty reserved for the most part, unless you get a couple beers in me, <laughs> but I can feel what I, on DEI, what's right, but I can't express myself on it. And so what I've kind of in my mind realized is that I'm not going to be the change in the fact that I'm going to be the one presenting the DEI topic or, you know, opening the doors for people. But what I need to do is put people that are in the position that are good at that, that can succeed at opening the doors. That That's kind of my, my role now is same thing with engineering. The younger people have so much more knowledge. Their minds work so much better than mine. My role is to put the younger engineers in a position to succeed and put those that, you know, on the DEI, build them up to you know, the ones that are saying the right things that are have the good ideas, making sure I get the word out what they're doing. You know, I, I can't change the world, definitely. But at least what I can do is point out the people that can and celebrate those people, I guess, is kind of how I view it. It's There's so many different things that need change. And one person can't do it. But if we celebrate each other and support each other, I think that it can happen. Yeah, I agree. And I think, so like, here's what, as you're talking, Chad, one thing that comes to mind is your voice with, you know, the amount of experience that you have with the background that you have, your voice travels maybe louder and, and further than other people's voices. So until everyone's voice is equal, I see you doing a great job of using that voice that you have to promote and to bring up other voices. So Great job on that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So moving on a little bit, I guess, do you have any other advice regarding collaboration with other structural engineers, other things that we can do within the industry to kind of promote and further the industry? Yeah. I think just don't let what had been the history, what the norms in the past, where you don't talk to, you don't share information. There's stuff that is proprietary out there that you don't want to share with the company, but if you're willing to, again, I keep going back to SEAC and SEAs, you know, we have a lot of younger member groups where we're trying to teach them, you know, to get ready for the exams, being willing to share your experience with them versus not sharing because you're afraid that they might undercut your business. That's not what we're here for. You know, we want to build them up as, as um, you know, well of a structural engineer as they can and, and kind of put aside the whole, the competition side of things. There's always room for competition, but it needs to be a a mutual respect competition, right? If we can put aside the, you know, we just don't talk to other companies about what we're doing, even like what projects we're working on. (laughs) I I think the more information that everybody has, the better off we're going to be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm just thinking back. So I've been in the industry for about 20 years and thinking back to when I first started and I was like, man, you better not be posting any construction site pictures online or anything because somebody might find something wrong with that. And just, yep. I mean, that keeps everything pretty secretive and pretty buttoned up. And, you know, like the work that you're doing with SEAC too, of like mentoring awareness with the general public and mentoring the younger generation. Like, how are we ever going to get other people to pursue our profession if they don't ever know what we do? <laughs> yep. And also listening to that younger generation and, you know, making the changes now that they're speaking about. It's, it makes me very uncomfortable. Again, I'm kind of an old school. I've been having conversations in the past with some younger members in SEAC about 
they really are interested in opening up what people make like salaries. And that just makes me so uncomfortable because back in the day, I was like, I was taught that if you talk about salaries with somebody else, even if they're in, in your company, you're gone. And, you know, it just makes me so uncomfortable. But, you know, the newer generation is they want an open book of what other people are getting paid. And, you know, it makes me uncomfortable, but I know that that's kind of what the future needs to go to. Again, it still makes me super uncomfortable. But, you know, there's changes out there that, you know, are probably for the best. And just because we didn't do that 10, 15 years ago doesn't mean that we can't do it in the future. I love that open mindset. And as you're talking, like that makes me think about fees a little bit, too. I mean, I feel like that's always so black box, too. It'd be great if we knew kind of what our industry standard for our hourly rate should be or ranges of that. I think that would give us a lot more confidence putting together proposals and also yeah. maybe help us get more kind of what we're worth <laughs> for what we bring to the project. <laughs> exactly. I think we undercut each other a lot because we want that work. And so we'll take what we should do it for and then cut it by you know 10% just because we want that job. We have to keep away from collusion but if we can at least be a little bit more open and so that we're essentially a skill-based fee versus a you know lowest fee and try to build our value up so that we can get to that point where we can actually get a fee that's reasonable to what we provide for the team because we do we do a lot beyond just you know structural engineering a lot of times we do a lot of the coordination with the mechanical and, and architecture and we kind of help the architect on that piece of it so we do a lot outside of just the structural engineering side yeah, and in the construction administration phase of things too, I feel like a lot of times that's pretty, it's not really too confined in. I feel like that can be very open-ended sometimes as far as what our scope is and what we bring to the table. So mm-hmm. yeah, a little more guidance with that would probably be helpful for all of us too, I think. A little more industry standard with that. Oh, it is merit-based fees. That's what I meant, merit-based versus lowest fee. Yeah, I agree. That would be great. <laughs> Because a lot of that can, like in the CA phase of things, if it is not merit-based, more things can arise in that later fee and end up making it more expensive. (laughs) Yep, exactly. And there's a saying that you can't love somebody else until you love yourself. Mm -hmm. I think the structural engineering industry, until we celebrate ourselves and understand our own value, then we can show the value to the public and to the architects and our clients of what we really can and do do so yes i love that i think that should be our motto so is there a song with that because i'm going to ask you next what theme song you would give structural engineers this is a weird one so if you're familiar with the karate kid yes there's a montage where they're fighting and and there's a song by joe espadito i think and it's the best around okay and it's uh, you're the best i'm not gonna sing on a podcast you can sure sing i don't want to no i don't want to but anyway I remember back in the day, like when I'd help somebody in the office, they'd go, you're the best. And I'd always in my mind start seeing that song. So <laughs> I think we just need other people to understand that we're the best around as an industry. So, Yeah, no, and I think that ties into what you just said before that, right? We have to like really have our own self-worth as far as what we bring to the table. And then we can extrapolate that to the others around us too. So yeah. <laughs> Love it. So one thing I always ask on the podcast, and you can probably guess why I ask this, but are you left-handed or right-handed? I am extremely right-handed. Okay. As in I barely can do anything left. I do shoot pool left-handed and I skateboard left-footed, left-handed. Okay. Those are the only two things that I can do backwards. What about softball? (laughs) Softball, I hit right and I throw right. Okay. 
Okay. And I drink, I drink, right? Oh, so. I thought maybe you drink left so you could do it all at the same time. Well, I can drink, I can, I can drink left. I'm ambidextrous with holding, holding a beer. Okay. So. Okay. I'll take that as left-handed then. You're, you're fully left-handed. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I thought I would have a lot of left-handed structural engineers, but as it turns out, there have only been a couple. So I think we are maybe the same as the rest of the collective, I guess. Yeah, one of the bigger companies in town on left-handed day on LinkedIn because I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I guess I told somebody once they said that I I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn I, and I said I guess that means I'm on the internet a lot during the day. So, but I just happen to be at the right time. But anyway, one of the bigger firms in town showed all their left-handed. I think they had 12 left-handed and they've got about 200 people or so. Okay. 150. So I was going to try to do the math and see if it's outside of just the normal population. Or not, but it sounds about right. I feel like it's like ten percent. Don't quote me on that, but I feel like that's about what the general population is. And I tend to think that structural engineers are higher than that because I have a lot of friends that are also left-handed. But this is getting proven wrong, so I feel like maybe I shouldn't ask the question anymore. But I still will because this will be my life mission to <laughs> try to prove this. <laughs> and I think. Structural engineers are a little bit more creative than other engineers. I think other engineers kind of get locked into a little bit more of the technical side. Mm-hmm. But some of us that are architectural engineers spent three years thinking they were going to be an architect and then realized that they can't draw. Did you go into architectural engineering first? I did. Okay. Well, it's basically a structural engineering degree, but you learn a lot about the building itself, like mechanical and architectural side of things. Yep. But yeah, I think structural engineering probably has a little bit more of the creative side than other ones. I would agree. So Chad, when you are not connecting people and collaborating with other structural engineers and designing cool buildings, what do you do to recharge? My other song was going to be, sorry, just to tie that in. My other song was going to be Everybody's Working for the Weekend (laughs) by Loverboy, I believe. No, no more, no more. New mindset. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Back in the day, I would switch the words to everybody's working on the weekend because I would be working every weekend. But now I'm not, which is a great way to recharge. And and I think the key to our industry is being able to recharge. And I personally do it by spending time with my friends and family. In the summer, I go to baseball games. I love going, sitting in a baseball game, drinking a beer, watching a game that may or may not have anything exciting in it. But I have great conversations with the people that I'm with. But sleep too. I When I'm on and I'm doing my best, I get a lot of sleep at night. And then just being able to turn the work off mm-hmm. and having that free time, having that weekend that I'm not worried about my project the whole time. I think those are the keys to recharge because you can't, you can't recharge your computer if, you, if you're always plugged in. That battery is going to die at some time, which I think is important to do this recharge reset just because of you know how much stress we have in our industry and, and how much competitive and, and high pressure our piece is that there's a lot of mental health considerations, you know, in our industry where we get burnout pretty easy. I've been burnout several times and I think it's key to be able to recharge and reset or your battery's just going to not work anymore. Yeah, I think that's so true and so important for mental health. This was like 10 years ago. I saw like an online, like what's the most like stress-free career? And one of them on there was structural engineering. And I was kind of like, we take our jobs very seriously. We take an oath to protect the safety of the public. You know, like if we screw up our job, like Mm -hmm. many people could lose their lives. And we take that very, very seriously. So I think that's so right. Like you have to take that time to disconnect and recharge so that we can do our jobs good. 
Yeah, and that key is the public safety stress because we do have you know deadlines which I can deal with. It's just the ones that bother me the most is when I'm worrying about you know something having an issue. That those are the ones that keep me up at night. Yeah, it's just making sure that we are in a well-rounded industry where we know technically what we're doing and have the resources available to you know, make sure that that public safety is there. Yes. And just like you said, that time to recharge because yep. we're expecting a lot out of these brains and <laughs> they need a little downtime to perform. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that's all I have. So this has been very informative. I hope that this is, you know, a great resource for other structural engineers. You mentioned some online forums for structural engineers to collaborate on, and maybe we could get that in the show notes and just maybe <laughs> move forward a little bit in collaboration within the industry. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for being here and for sharing your knowledge and expertise, not only in structural engineering, but also in collaboration within the industry. So thanks, Chad. Yep. I appreciate you having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Unstruct and know someone else who would, please share it with them. And if you enjoy the work that I'm doing here in general, I would really appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to help others find the show. Speaking of finding shows, Unstruct is part of the Gable Media Network, a place where you can find even more content like this. To see the catalog of shows focused on our built environment, visit gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Lastly, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe before you go so that you don't miss the next story from within the walls and how they stand today. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.